really great to be back and to see familiar faces and new faces. It looks like I chose the wrong Sunday uh, because I'm going to miss the party next week. Uh, all this good food that you have down here. Um, <clears throat> I bring with me lots of greetings. Uh, the Glow family, we, we, we work all over Europe. Uh, we have about 100 workers all involved in trying to get new churches started and help struggling churches. And uh, They pray for Enniscorthy. They pray for you um, on a fairly regular basis. I also bring all the greetings from my church in, the, in Belfast called the Crescent Church. We're quite a large church, um, and some of you are coming to help us this summer, which is great. Look forward to that. Uh, we need a bit of education and culture and that kind of thing. So you've sent at least three of you, but maybe there'll be more of you join us as well in August on one of our teams. This summer we'll have about 30 outreach teams all over Europe, <clears throat> um, from Norway to the south of Spain, from Eastern Europe to uh, wherever. We're even talking about a team in Quebec next year. So uh, the work has just grown and grown uh, year after year. When I joined the work, I'm actually the, the longest serving worker in GLOW now. I've survived. Uh, and I'm not 60 yet, believe it or not. Uh, I know you don't believe that either, but it's actually true. Uh, and it's been fantastic to see God at work. Uh, incidentally, my, my, the folk in my church, they send all their greetings and they do pray for you and for what God is doing here uh, in, in the south of the island. Uh, <clears throat> I'm married to Andrea. Uh, she's the boss. Uh, actually, our youngest granddaughter's the boss, really. Uh, we have four grown-up daughters, um, three of them have children. Uh, the, our youngest girl who lives in Liverpool was over last week, and she uh, brought her little newborn boy, who's just a few weeks old. And it was quite interesting because... His cousin, Thomas, who's four, was having a conversation with him the other day. And he was just sitting in the cot looking at him, you know, just wanting his bottle. And Thomas was having this whole conversation saying to Samuel, Now, when we're teenagers, we can go clubbing together. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, and, and, and it just dawned, as he was talking, I began to realize, you know, this, this business of speech, it moves fast, doesn't it? I hope you understand what I'm saying, but when you think about it, speech is an incredible gift that men and women and boys and girls have. It gives us the edge over every other creature on the planet. It's true. If a lion just walked in here now and you were on your own, you would really panic, I think. But if there was a team of us, we could probably work something out to corner it or catch it or or just decide who can run the fastest. And, you know. but, but because we have speech, we actually can communicate, and because of that communication, we can accomplish amazing things. We think about it for the moment. I'm making strange noises out this, you know, noise box here. And you're hearing the sounds that we cannot see. And you're processing that through your ears into your brain and you're deciding whether this is worth listening to or not because you actually hopefully understand the words. You know, that's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. In fact, there were eight scientists who were Darwinists who just last year wrote a book about their research. They've been researching for about the last 40 years uh, on the evolution of language. 
hoping to discover how language, you know, started with just grunts and noises and all kinds of things like babies do. And looking for evidence in human history where there was just snippets of language that then became a language and then became a speech and so And they actually came to the conclusion that there's no evidence. And that language has actually arrived. Pretty much language arrived all at once. So it seems to be in human history that there was no speech and then there was speech. And they have no evidence. And so they actually admitted this. So much so that another man called Tom Wolfe, who's not at all a Christian, he's an atheist, he wrote a book about these guys admitting that they were wrong. He says it's so rare that these scientists admit they're wrong. And he wrote a book called The Kingdom of Speech. If you don't believe me, Google it and buy it. Um, And he talks about how powerful speech is. And when you think about it, because of being able to communicate, we make discoveries. And we, we create things and we build things and, and it's just astonishing. Now why am I telling you all this? Not so that you listen to me. But I want to read from Genesis chapter 11. Because we get this in the Bible. It's really fascinating. One of the things I really enjoy about the Bible is when I first began to read it, I got answers to questions. Um, and I find this with many new Christians. I have a friend who was actually involved in a terrorist organization he, he, and he trusted the Lord. His body's covered in tattoos. He actually has Psalm 23 tattooed in his leg. That was before he was a Christian. He's now trying to get all these off his fingers and his hands so that he can get a job because nobody will trust him. You know, when he, walked, he used to walk into the bank, they thought he'd come to rob them. You know, so Marty became a Christian and I remember I was in Malaysia at one of our glow centers and three o'clock in the morning the phone goes and it's Marty and he says to me, I said, Martin, I'm in Malaysia. It's three in the morning. You've just waking me up. He says, I know, but where did Cain get his wife? <laughs> you know, I said, Martin, in the grand scheme of things, you know, keep reading. It's in the next chapter. You know, it actually does tell you. And that's the wonderful thing about even, even if you just read the first 11 chapters of the Bible, it can give you a worldview that's very helpful. It can ex- help you understand why the world is in the state it's in. Why politics is in the state it's in. And just about every country you can imagine. It, w- what is it? We make all these technological discoveries, but when it comes to human nature, the prisons are still full. People are still unhappy. People are still escaping into all kinds of addictions and all kinds of, of things. Why? Because something about human nature is not working. Something about human nature is, 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 has gone wrong. And no matter how, even if we invent all these machines, it won't change you and me. Um, might change our humour if we lose our jobs, but you know, so the Bible has a lot to say about that kind of thing. And I would encourage you to read it because you'll get answers to, really good answers to questions. And if you read right through even all of Genesis, for instance, you'll discover that Abraham had to face the gay question as well. He, he had to deal with all those issues. It's not new. It's human nature. It's been there from the beginning. And so he had to think about it. And I quite like Abraham's attitude to the likes of Sodom and Gomorrah. He wasn't judgmental. He prayed for the city. His attitude was, let God do the judging, because he's the only one who does it right, and let us pray for one another, and let us pray for our towns and pray for our cities, irrespective of the lifestyle of people. God still loves them, and he loves us. And we just heard it again, John 3.16 this morning, 
that God loves us. And that's God's attitude, isn't it? He loves us and Jesus died for us. But here's an interesting story from, true story from Genesis chapter 11. Just after the great flood. This is just after the great flood uh, of Noah. Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. That that was interesting. I wonder what language it was. Probably Akkadian actually. But um, certainly wasn't English. Um, One language and one common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, or Babylon, and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Now, you see what I mean about speech? They said to each other, let's try this. Let's dig a hole in the ground, find some material, and let's make bricks. That's how ceramics works, you know. Up until this time, they just used stones that they found and, and, and they cut. And now they're inventing things. Quite interesting. Fascinating, the, the history of inventions, actually. There's some inventions that have changed our lives and our worlds and you wouldn't even realize it. Like the horseshoe. The horseshoe changed all of society. It was an incredible invention that allowed people start to, to, to do great distances on horseback. Before that, they couldn't do it. Interesting, isn't it? You know... Um, Whenever they invented the printing press, thank God for that, because this is the result of it. Um, Before that, many, many people couldn't read, and that's why they had the stained glass windows in the big churches, because the the glass windows told the stories of the Bible, and everything was passed on orally. Interesting. We take it all for granted now. You know, some of you start at school with a a slate. Anybody here start school with a slate? My, My... my mom did, and she just would write on the slate, you know. Now it's the iPad. This little slate now is a window to the world. That's how fast things have moved in the last 50 years or so. Quite astonishing. And so here they discovered brick, how to make bricks. Um, and uh, it was a big deal. It really was. It changed, it changed the world. Uh, they used brick instead of stone and tar from water. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city. I want you to note that. They said, come let us build ourselves a city. With a tower that reaches to the heavens. So that we may make a name for ourselves. They were already in the selfies. Thousands of years ago, weren't they? It was all about us, you know. And here they are, they're saying, let's build a city for ourselves, let's build a tower to the heavens, a big high tower, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. There seems to be an insecurity here that is motivating them. They didn't want to be scattered over all the earth. A few chapters earlier, God, after the great flood, said to them, spread out, multiply, the whole world is yours, go and they have decided, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to stay put. We're going to find a nice spot in the sun here. And we're going to build ourselves a city. And we're going to build ourselves a tower. And people are still doing that. We're still making bricks and we're still building cities and we're still building towers. Uh, I was over in the Middle East last year in, in, in Dubai and it's got the largest tower in the world. The Burj Khalifa. It's 2,700 feet high. It sways in the wind. Quite astonishing, the towers that people are building all over the world today in Shanghai and 
and Seoul. I don't know if you've ever been up any of these towers. Some of them actually have a restaurant at the top of it that goes round, you know, like in Toronto or in Sydney. It's quite spectacular, but we seem to have this fascination with building towers. And in Dubai, the interesting thing I find about the highest tower in the world is that it's built in sand. It's actually built, everything in Dubai is built in sand, by the way. And, you know, it's quite interesting, I don't know about you, but the, the story Jesus told came to my mind where he says, if you're going to build, don't build on the sand. Build it, build, build it on the rock. And while Jesus was talking about a house, and while here we're talking about a tower, I want us to think about our lives. What are we building our lives on? What kingdom are we investing in? These people decided, we're going to build our kingdom. We're going to build a city for ourselves. We're going to build a tower for ourselves. And we're going to make a name for ourselves. The celebrity culture was there thousands of years ago. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Interestingly enough, Moses, who wrote Genesis, doesn't tell, tell us who they are. We don't know their names. But in the second part of this chapter, it talks about the names of all the people from Shem to Abraham who were in the ancestry of Jesus. And it's like Moses is saying to us, if you want to make a name for yourselves, get in the right team. Get, it, you know, get into the right kingdom. Get into the right family. Um, later on in the Bible it talks about books being opened before God and there's going to be books opened. And Jesus said one day to his disciples, he said, if you're going to rejoice about anything, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. I mean, imagine for a moment there was no electricity. It's not hard to imagine, actually. But imagine that the power grid went down, so you couldn't use your iPad or your phone. Or, you know, I nearly learned that lesson last Saturday when I was flying back from Budapest. And my iPhone, just as I was arriving at check-in, was about to die on me and I had my ticket on my iPhone. Watch out for that one. Make sure it's charged because my flight was delayed three hours and little by little I'd forgotten to charge my iPhone and it was in the red and I was coming up there and I said, oh Lord, please help make sure this doesn't die before I get through the checkout. And, but if there was no electricity, no computers, no records, imagine there was no more any books uh, and libraries were burnt because we put everything on the computer, which is what's happening. And then it all went flat. Who would remember anything or anybody? Maybe the only one that would remember anything would be God. Maybe his computer and his books in heaven are going to be the only ones that are going to be actually there in the end. Interesting. So, where's our, our name going to turn up? Interesting. I just find this is in Genesis. They're building towers, they're building cities, and they're wanting to make a name for themselves. And look what happens next. It says in verse 5, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the, that the people were building. You see, the interesting thing about this is, if you notice in the first few verses, there's no mention of God. They're building a city for themselves and they want to make a name for themselves. Maybe they're building a tower in case if there's another flood, we can get up into our tower and, and, and we'll survive the flood this time. Who knows, but they were 
certainly motivated by insecurity. They wanted to stick together, make a name for themselves, build a tower. You could push it a little bit and say they were creating an identity. They were creating their own identity without God. And people are doing Every country in the world is doing that, isn't it? I could throw out you know, a discussion point this morning. Like, what does it mean to be Irish? Big question, isn't it? People have written books on that. No. Is it because you're born here, you have an accent or, or, or you know, uh, whatever? You know, what does it mean to be French? I lived in France for 17 years and it was quite interesting because uh, I remember one time I was in Geneva and a chap asked me to be part of a committee for church planting and he said to me, now Gibson, you, you, you English? I said, oh, just let me stop you there, uh, you know. Uh, he said, everybody who speaks English in the world isn't English. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but his take and the French take on it, if you speak English, you must be English. So I said, okay, you Belgian. And he looked at me, because the French make jokes about the Belgians, you see, they don't like them. And he said, okay, okay. He says, but we're starting French indigenous, culturally French churches. And if you're going to work with us, it's to start French churches. And I thought about it and said, but Jesus said in the Bible, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. And when the Apostle Paul was starting churches, he didn't go around the Roman world saying, we're going to start Jewish churches. In fact, he did the opposite. In the church of Jesus Christ, it says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, that I don't even want to know you outside of Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. We are children of God. That's our identity. We are children of God. What a great privilege that is. To get your name into the book of life. To be children of God. And to be part of the kingdom that God is building. And I want to just highlight this morning. Now, I want to talk about two kingdoms. See these folk in Babel. This is the beginning of Babylon. You may have heard of Babylon. It comes up periodically in the Bible. And here they were trying to build a city in Babylon without God. They were building a kingdom without God. People are still doing that. They're building their lives without God. There's no room for God. And that creates big problems. Because we were created to have a relationship with God. We are created in the image of God. And our identity, whether we like it or not, has the stamp of God on it somewhere. To ignore that is to actually ignore your own identity. And the Bible says, God came down and looked at the city and he looked at the tower. Why? Because he's interested in what we're doing. He's actually interested in your little life. Believe it or not, you may feel, well, here I am. I'm not particularly gifted. I'm living in a little town in rural Ireland and you know, whatever it is you might think, but God is really, really interested in your life. And in this story, God looked down and he came down and he was really interested in what they were doing with their lives as he's interested in what we're doing with our lives. Fascinating. So the Lord came down to see the, the, the city and the tower and the pe- that the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language 
so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, or Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Why did God do this? It seems like a punishment, but actually, I don't believe it is. I believe that God knew that people get proud of their achievements. I believe that God knows that when people start to get organized and they create empires without God, it leads to disaster. And the history is full of that. You had the Babylonian Empire, you had the Egyptian Empire, you had the Greek Empire, you had the Medes and the Persians, you had the Roman Empire. And all their leaders, all their emperors or their pharaohs or their Caesars, they all thought they were God. They actually ended up thinking they were God. Sometimes when people become head of a country or they get so wealthy or so prosperous, it goes to their head. When I say sometimes, it's actually usually what happens. Even sometimes people who win the lottery destroy their lives because it just goes to their head. It seems to be that we can't handle it. And God, I believe, saw the the dangers. He said, they're going to think because they built a tower and a city, they're going to be able to do anything they like. I don't think God was saying, they're in competition with me. And let's be honest, the one who holds the whole universe in his hands, the galaxies and the stars, I don't think he was saying, oh, I better watch now because they built this tower and, you know, they're going to end up building airplanes and they're going to end up discovering oil, although I'm going to hide it for them for thousands of years. And when they discover oil, they're really going to think they are somebody, but actually, I've been playing hide and seek with them for. I don't think it was a competition thing with God, but I think God's seen the damage and the wars that were going to ensue as a result of the pride of man. And he said, I believe he said, they're building the wrong kingdom. Later on you find that God is also building a kingdom. In Daniel chapter 7, let, let me read a little bit later on what happens with Daniel chapter, in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel finds himself in Babylon. Back in Babylon. Only this time he's a prisoner. And he's one of God's prophets. Here's what it says for, in chapter 7. Then I continued to watch because of Um, the boastful words of the horn was speaking I kept looking until the beast was slain and so on he's talking about the political and the powers and the army of Babylon and then he says in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence he was given authority glory and sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. Way back in Babylon, they were building a city and a tower to make a name for themselves, and God looked down and he said, you don't get it. This will not work. And he scattered them. Because God's building his kingdom. 
And God's kingdom, he's not building his kingdom with bricks and with clay. He's building his kingdom with people. With you and with me. And Daniel later on, he gets his vision. While he's in the greatest empire in the world as a prisoner, Babylon was massive. The Medes and the Persians stretched from India to Egypt. It was a massive empire. People thought they were God. And if you don't believe me, read, read about the party they had in the book of Esther. Or the party they had in the book of Daniel at Belshazzar's feast. There was gold. There was, you know, they, they, some, in one party they feasted for, for months. You know, everyone had their own designer cup. You know, uh, nothing new. But that kingdom disappeared in one night. Rome, when Jesus was on earth, Rome was around for a thousand years. If you, if you were alive when Rome, the, the Roman Empire was around, you would feel this is just humongous. This is just too much for us. They ruled the world and they called Rome the eternal city. And Jesus came along and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. When John the Baptist arrived to announce the arrival of Jesus, he says, get ready. Get ready for the kingdom of heaven is coming. When Jesus arrived, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he taught them to pray, what did he say? I want you to pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come. And when he stood before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate threatened him, you know, I have the power to, you know, what? My kingdom is not of this world. It was, I could call down the angels, 10,000 angels. I would call down the armies of heaven, and Rome would just disappear like that. Because God's kingdom is a different kingdom. It's built with love, not war. God doesn't subdue his subjects. He wins them with love. He gives us a choice. He's not a tyrant. He's not a dictator. He's a shepherd. He's a saviour. Rather than spend his eternity without us, he died on a cross to prove to us that he loves us and he wants us to be in his kingdom and spend eternity with him. You know, when my little grandson went back to Liverpool on Friday, I was feeling already a bit down. And he's only 20 minutes away on the plane. I have friends and their children on the other side of the world. And I understand what it meant for my parents when I took my children to France for 17 years. So it's payback time. But God misses us. God, God really wants us to be in his kingdom. Jesus said one time, Seek first the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things you're worried about. All of these things that people are building to make a name for themselves. All of these things that are passing. He says, don't worry about those. God will take care of it. They will be added on to you. I hope you're in God's kingdom. I hope you're investing in the right kingdom. You know, a lot of people are investing in this, in this world and in this earth for their pensions. And that's okay. It makes sense. You want to look after your family. But you do realize it's not going to last. And the interest rates kind of go up and down, don't they? Someone said once, if you invest in God's kingdom, the interest rates are out of this world. <laughs> Literally. And they won't rust. 
Jesus said on one other occasion, even a cup of cold water given in my name will be certainly rewarded. That's astonishing. Because God wants to bless us. God wants us to be in his kingdom. He will remember our names because they're written in the hands of Jesus who died on the cross. What a great, what a great God we have. And uh, he doesn't have to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. He made the heavens themselves. Jesus said one day heaven and earth will pass away but my word will last forever. So you. He wants you to spend eternity with him in his kingdom. Think about it. There are two parallel worlds here this morning. There's this physical world and this world that we're looking at. And, but there's a, a kingdom of God and he is coming in the clouds to establish his kingdom. You know, it's pretty, it's a pretty big deal, you know, when the President of the United States comes here, isn't it? Or the Pope. You know, you see the telly and, the, and, the, and the, everybody gets excited. Oh, the president's coming. Oh, the Pope's. And, and, you know, or a, there's a famous celebrity comes to your town. It's a big deal. It's in the papers and all the rest of it. Jesus is coming back. Wouldn't it be awesome if the president came here? I'm not so sure about this one, but certainly uh, if the president came and he was standing in front of a whole crowd and he, and he looked at you and he said, ah, come on up here, uh, you know, Martin. Come on up here and, you know, everybody. He knows the president. Wow. You know. Well, imagine when Jesus comes. He knows you by name. He is interested in your little kingdom. And he wants you to build it on the rock. And he wants you to build it in his kingdom. What a God. You know, what a book. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul, as he was um, coming to the end of his life, found himself in Rome, in the kingdom of, you know, the empire, the Roman Empire. And if you read the last verse of the book of Acts, it's really interesting. He was in a hard house. He, had, he experienced a little time of freedom. At one time he was actually chained to two Roman guards, elite crack troops. Actually, they were chained to him. Because half of them became Christians by the time Paul had finished. It's true. So when you're in difficult circumstances, turn it around. You know, if you have to live with somebody who's difficult, they have to live with you. You know? That's the other side, isn't it? And and if you love Jesus, they're going to have to put up with Jesus, uh, whether they want to or not. And Paul won half of the Roman guard, at least, if you read the book of Philippians for Christ. But in the last verse of Acts, he says... It says he was in a hard house and he was preaching the kingdom of God. There was Paul in Rome saying, see this Roman Empire? It's not going to last. I'm sure people laughed at him. You must be kidding. If you ever go to Rome and you see St. Peter's Square, you'll see what I mean. It looks like it's there forever. No, no, no. It's gone. It's just a tourist attraction now. But God's kingdom keeps growing and growing. People from every tribe, every language, we're all going to be gathered around the throne. And you see these praise songs we're singing this morning? We're just practicing. This is just practice for the big day. 
And Revelation chapter 5 tells us we're all going to be gathered and we're going to sing a new song. The worship's going to be fresh. We're going to keep learning new songs because there's always a new angle to God. There's always a new aspect to God's word that we, we can still learn more and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that Daniel had a vision where he saw the Son of Man coming in the clouds while he was in Babylon? When Jesus arrived on earth, what did he call himself? Son of Man. I think the Jews immediately say, oh, that's what Daniel said. This is him. This is the one. And when the disciples see Jesus rise up in the clouds, and the, and, the, and the angel said, this same Jesus that you saw go up into the clouds is coming back. I hope you're excited. Because we're, we've got pretty good stuff ahead of us. We've got a great future in God's kingdom. And he is coming back. And he will reign forever. We've been singing about it this morning. Just a few thoughts. I've forgotten the time. I've probably gone way over it. I can't remember. We're okay. In that case, let's go back to... <laughs> I'm only joking. Now, be, be encouraged. I, I, I said to you earlier, I have four daughters. My youngest daughter uh, now lives in Liverpool, but she was, cle- she was the cleverest of the daughters. And one of the things that she used to do with me when she spent her pocket money, she would say to me, Dad, your car's filthy. And it still is, actually. Um, she says, Dad, you need your car washed. You can't go to church like that. You know, and I said, okay... You've spent your pocket money. How much do you want? Ten pounds, she used to say to me. They wash the car. The local garage does it for 350. Ah, but they don't do a good job. You know, I'll clean it out and all the rest of it. I'll make it smell nice and all, you know. She was selling me the, she wanted the ten pounds. The truth is, I love her. And we like to give her children gifts. And there's a balance though, isn't there, between that and spoiling and there's something about the idea of working for it that makes you value it more when you get it. And I've discovered now that she's a nurse. She's very careful with her money. And so, you know, the idea of her working for it, even though I wanted to reward her without working for it, makes sense. And Jesus says to you and me, I can bring in the harvest without you. But I want you to be part of the harvest. I want, I want you to help me bring in my kingdom, bring in the harvest, because I want to bless you. I want to reward you. Everything that you do for Jesus is not wasted. If you do Sunday school, if you do crash, if you visit somebody in hospital, if you witness to your friend at work, if you just even show them the love of God, God's writing. He's, he's noting it down. And we're not doing it because... We want a reward. We're doing it because we love Jesus. It's easier to do it when you love somebody. You know, when I, before I was married, I never did the dishes. My mum would not allow me to do the dishes. She, honestly, she said, no son, that's, you know, I'll do that. And she never allowed me to do dishes. But when I got married, my wife allowed me to do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> to wash the dishes, you know. And the truth is, you know, I do love her. Now, the, the real truth is, now we have a dishwasher. But you do things when you love somebody that normally you wouldn't do if you didn't love them. And, and, and really, that is the approach that we should have when it comes to whatever we're doing. Don't worry about what others are doing. Do it for Jesus. Do it for Him. 
And he'll see it. And it'll be noted. And he will bless you. The folk are getting baptized next week. I really know in my heart that they do it for Jesus because of what he's done for them. That, because it takes guts to do this in front of people. It takes a lot of courage. But we do it because Jesus asked us not to become a member of a church or not to convince, not to impress our friend. All of those things happen, but the real reason is because Jesus asks us to. So anyway, if you're thinking about the Torah, Bible, you know, interestingly enough, the highest building in Ireland is in Belfast. And it's called the Abel Tower. And it's so high, it's 83 metres. You know, which is actually not as high as the Tower of Babel, which was actually higher. The highest tower in the world is 830 metres. And they're going to build another one of 1,000 metres on sand. Don't do that with our lives. Don't do that with our lives.